do you do when a problem doesn't have a solution? There is a lid for every pot, right? Oh, we all know that's not true. <laughs> Look at your cabinet of pot lids. Do you know where every one of them goes? <laughs> Me neither. In real life, there are problems that just sit there, hanging in the air in front of us. Think of how mad you get when you, say, lose an earring or your favorite pen. You know they're in your home, but where? You look on the floor, under the furniture, in drawers, near the bathroom sink. You look in your bed and in the cushions of the couch, in the heating vents. After exhausting all logical hiding places, you begin to check areas that are a slightly further reach. You look under rugs, in cabinets, on the highest bookshelf. Before you know it, you're tearing up floorboards and peeling off wallpaper. But still, you can't find what you're looking for. You know it's in your house, so why can't you find it? Sometimes, you'll forget about it for a little while, but it always comes back. The need to find it, the lid to your proverbial pot, is always there, but you never find it. And it eats away at you, that, that nagging sensation, that miserable pit, that hope. I think hope must be one of the worst feelings in the whole spectrum of human emotion. It consumes people, it rips them apart, drives them insane, and never, ever, ever lets them rest. When you're little, you're taught that it's the only thing that will help you survive adversity. Hope is humanity's driving force, the one thing that separates us from the animals. It's supposed to be beautiful, bright, and shimmering, like oleander blossoms. Hope is a powerful force, a waking dream. It is an embrace of the unknown, the thing with feathers that perches in the soul and sings the tune without the words and never stops at all. Hope lies in dreams and springs eternal. And all those things seem beautiful. But when you think about it, they're also frightening. It's a dangerous thing, hope. Hope can drive a man insane. I'm Holly. I'm Leslie. And we would be dead. today. Yes. This was like a weirdly urgent request. Mm -hmm. I mean, I guess the request wasn't urgent. My response just was. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so today we're um, covering the disappearance of Brian Schaefer. And it was suggested in our Facebook group. So if you don't mm -hmm. belong to that, you, you got to get in there. Get on over there to Facebook. And, yeah. We and listen. <laughs> yeah. Join our group at We Would Be Dead Podcast. Facebook group. <laughs> <laughs> dot com. <laughs> dot net. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> there's like, there's a lot of us. We have like over 2,000 people. Yeah, don't we, we have more than 2,100 people in our group. Yeah. It's big. What, what up? We have an Australian fiend. Yeah. 
I fucking love you. You are very funny. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They're great. I love them. More <laughs> of you, please. <laughs> so anyway, we were we we had a different case planned for this week, but then someone brought up this case in our Facebook group, and um, everyone had like a big response. A lot of people were very interested in it. Um, and it, and it's one of those cases that because it's a missing persons case, it tends to haunt people. Mm. There's no resolution. That's just that's just how those are. And I was so fascinated by it that I started looking into it, and I thought, ah, uh, I've spent more time on this than the case we were going to do. Yeah. So it just only felt right. <laughs> it did just feel right. You know what else feels right? What? Asking our fiends for some validation right now. Oh, give us all the validation, please. Yeah, so just like you made just like a little request of us, and we were super happy to do it, we were just going to make like a little tiny request of you. That you will be super happy to do. That you're going to be super happy to do. (laughs) So if you could, we request that you please uh, head on over to Apple Podcasts and leave us a five... um, star rating. Couldn't think of the word rating. And or friendly review. And or a friendly review. (laughs) You can also do it on Spotify now. That's right. You can rate and review on Spotify. I don't know what it looks like or how you do it because I don't Spotify, but it's it's important. It's a very important platform. But those that Spotify. Which is everyone else in the world but me. (laughs) So head on over to Spotify and leave us a five-star rating and or a friendly review. If that's how they do it, it might be something else. I don't know. But do it. Whatever they ask for, give us the top one, please. Yeah. I promise. It's going to feel so good. <laughs> it's going to feel great. It makes a huge difference for us. And, you know, when you're charitable, you in turn feel good. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I've heard that. There are studies that prove that, like, making charitable donations is partially selfish because it makes you feel so good right. for helping I others. I would argue that our fiends would also feel some validation themselves. Yes, it would bounce right back onto you. You'd be like, I'm a good and charitable person. Mm-hmm. I feel validated. And then mm-hmm. immediately you'd look younger. So like spend $75 on some Lacombe moisturizer or or give us a five-star review. Same result. I For feel free. like one is a very good deal and the other is stupid. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, leave us a five-star rating and or a friendly review on any platform you can find. Uh, You can also support the podcast over on Patreon, where for just a few dollars a month, you get a bunch of fun extras, like our weekly when it comes back after show. We're working on it, we promise. We are working on it, guys. We, um... Our venue is changing a lot because the studio is still under construction, so it's hard for us to set up video cameras right now, which means that, like... Postmortem, which is our video after show, which you will get if you're a patron, has been kind of put on hold for a few weeks, but it is coming back. We do have a couple to add on from previous episodes, so you you will get those. Plus, there's a backlog of a ton of them. Mm-hmm. So if you're a new patron, you'll get a ton of video content of us. There's also our patrons-only podcast, 30-Minute Horror Movies, which is really fun. My dog just lost his chew toy. Oh. He's been so bad the past couple weeks. Anyway, we also have special merchandise offers for our patrons. You get voting rights for future episodes. Like uh, right now we have, has voting closed for our 100th episode? It has. Does that mean we can announce it? We can't announce it tonight because it's complicated. We'll announce it next week. Yeah, next week we'll tell you what's going on with our 100th episode, which by the way, is two weeks away. Yikes. What? That's crazy. 100 episodes? In two weeks, we have a hundred episodes. In three weeks. Three. Okay, then in three weeks. Yeah. It doesn't matter. It's still crazy. 
That's yeah. bananas to me. So wow. yeah, our patrons voted on our on what we're going to cover, and the results are super interesting. And they not only sparked an episode, but they sparked a. Uh, I'm just going to tease you by saying a um, a very very big, ambitious, super interesting future project, which I don't know that we would have been pushed to do without our patrons. Right. So yeah. Patrons get a lot of really cool, fun stuff and influence, and sometimes we do Zoom calls, and we do... There's a bunch of stuff. Mm-hmm. So come be a patron, and if all of that is too much for you, you can simply share anything from our social media feed to your social media feed. You can let social media know when you're listening. You can post about your favorite episode, post your favorite quotation, tell your friend, tell your neighbor, tell your dog trainer. What's their name? Gaston. Gaston. So he's like, he has four dozen eggs to get large and then trains your dog? Yeah. Got it. Great. Very good. Great. <laughs> I think I need him to come in right now because my dog is being naughty. He's just exploring. He's the standing world. on a side table. It's not, <laughs> none of it's okay. So then, if you tell your friends, neighbors, and guests on, they can all become fiends and we can all hang out together. Yay. Hooray. Um, and I think that's about it for the news this week. We have so much going on. There's so much to talk about. We just can't talk about it yet. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I, I swore I was never going to be the person who said that, but now I have to be, <laughs> mostly because I'm really excited. So yeah. You should be. Please stay tuned next week, you guys. We're going to tell you a whole lot more. Leslie, do you have um, anything else to add before we begin? Any cryptic messages about the future? Well, Holly. Yes. Um. Yeah, not this week. <laughs> It sounded really official yeah. for a minute. Like I thought, <laughs> thought I didn't know. I felt no. like maybe I was in trouble for a minute. <laughs> well, no. Absolutely not. Cool. On well, with the show. Well. <laughs> All right then. <laughs> On with the show. I don't think there is anything scarier, to be very honest, than a missing persons case. And yeah, and okay. you heard me right. We have covered some truly horrible and graphic cases, but for the most part, we know what happened there. We know who did something. We know who it happened to. We, there's at least three quarters of a story, if not 100% of it the whole time. There is something about a person just vanishing into thin air without a trace that is nothing short of bone chilling. We don't know if they're alive or dead. We don't know where in the world they are located. It could be thousands of miles away or just a few paces down the street. We don't know what happened or who was to blame. We don't know if the missing are scared or lost or hungry. Are they trying to find their way out? Did they fight back? Can they find a way to get in contact with their loved ones and we just missed the signs? It's just a sea of open-ended, unanswered questions. And in my opinion, the scariest thing in the whole human experience is the unknown. I, I think, like, the devil you don't know is, is far scarier than the one you do. Yeah, I agree. And home invasions. Which and, is also the unknown. Yeah, and snakes. Because, yeah, snakes. <laughs> kind of no snakes, but a home invasion is so unexpected. You don't ever, that's the thing, your guard is down, you don't know mm-hmm. what's happening, and then there it is. But missing persons cases also leave us a horrible combination of helpless but not hopeless. Mm-hmm. And that living, breathing, shimmering piece of hope can be precisely what ruins 
the people floating aimlessly in this sort of disaster's wake. You can't ever just settle. There's no closure. There's no door you can close and move on. You can't have a funeral. You can't, there's, you just can't close the book. Mm-hmm. You're left the whole time to wonder. And, and I, in a lot of ways, I think that's so much scarier and so much worse. And I guess what I'm saying is, I'm sorry if you guys don't sleep for a week, but you did ask for this. So here we go. <laughs> Great. Now, this case is particularly baffling because Brian Schaefer should have been very easy to trace. He was or is, we don't know, a well-known, good-looking, 27-year-old, second-year medical student at Ohio State University. Brian, you. I knew you were going to be excited. <laughs> Brian had been at Ohio State since his undergrad, too. And this is his second year at medical school, which means that he had been there for, I think, like nine years. Mm. And in, in that area and at that school. So people would have known him. He, he was a known entity. He wasn't like just some new kid that had only been around for a minute. People most assuredly knew and, and recognized him. He spent his evening, the evening that he disappeared, in a relatively well-lit, heavily populated area. All the bars had security cameras and security guards and a police presence, as did the streets. He was with friends. He talked to people. Random people that weren't even his friends and other friends he just met out. He made calls from his cell phone. He did a ton of very, very, very traceable things. Like like things that if you were going to commit a crime, you absolutely shouldn't be doing. They're like the opposite of being able like to disappear. Then at 2.05 a.m. on April 1st, as though he just got unplugged and went blank, Brian Schaefer disappeared without a trace. So he went from highly visible, highly traceable, around lots of people who could confirm what he did and said to just gone. Huh. And, and within four minutes. Oh, wow. Four minutes gone. He entered a bar at approximately 2 a.m., told his friends he wanted to talk to somebody real quick, and then was never seen or heard from again. And he didn't oh. leave. There's no footage of him leaving the bar, only entering. Oh. That last time. Mm-hmm. He didn't get locked in somewhere. He didn't call anyone on his cell phone. In fact, he never used his cell phone again. He never used his bank account or credit cards. He wasn't caught on cameras or seen by friends. He didn't go to a coffee shop or a convenience store. Just radio silence from that day forward. Hmm. Yeah. No evidence, in fact, has ever been found of Brian. No clothing, no blood, no hair, no fibers, no footprints, DNA, no security photos, attempts to reach loved ones, absolutely nothing. Clean as a whistle. There are also no theories with concrete proof to go on either. There are lots of theories, but none of them have evidence. 16 years later, the police still essentially have nothing. It is as though the earth opened up and swallowed Brian Schaefer, which logically we know can't happen. Right. But if it didn't, what did? Right. Where is he? I don't know. All we can do is gather all the facts, no matter how big or small, and all the theories, no matter how sane or ridiculous, and speculate. Okay. And that is what every single bit of coverage of this case is. It's here is as much as we know, and then let's just throw things at a wall and see what sticks, because there is just a Darth of evidence. It just doesn't exist. Hmm. But if you do want to hear like every imaginable detail, 
you should um, search for true crime garages coverage of the story. Those guys are local to Columbus. They're an awesome true crime podcast. They're very good. They're very thorough. And this case is like their hallmark case. It's like mm. something that they have worked extremely hard on because uh, they're it's bars that they play like they play music in and have frequented. It's an area that they they like inhabit. So to them, it's very personal, and they've done a really great job. Uh, so yeah, if you want every tiny minute detail, you should go find True Crime Garage. They cover it on the podcast in a two-part. Then they go back and revisit it in a two-part. They're on Murder Squad where they cover it. They're everywhere. So like, I got to give credit where credit is due. Right. Find right. them. But like, stay here and listen to us. Oh, listen to us <laughs> first and then do your further research with True Crime Garage. Tell them we sent you too. Yeah. <laughs> Let's be friends. Now, whether he actually was or not, Brian Schaefer's disappearance is always going to make him seem like a super enigmatic person. Personally, I think he probably did have some secrets. But let's talk about him first and you guys can form your own opinion. Brian Randall Schaefer was born on February 11th, 1979 in Pickering, Ohio. Do you know where that one is? I don't. Okay. He was born to parents Randy and Renee Schaefer. Randy and Renee were both born and raised in Ohio. Randy was an avid tennis player, bike rider, and saxophonist. Nice. I mean, nice. You know, it's kind of whimsical. I like it. In fact, Randy had a Bachelor of the Arts in music that he got from Capital University, but ended up making his living as an electrician for Mid-City Electric in Columbus. Okay. Renee was a nurse at the Mount Carmel East and West Medical Centers in Columbus, or Carmel, or Caramel, however you want to pronounce Ooh. it. She was a dedicated, she was, oh, sorry, this is a quotation, a dedicated nurse who put her heart and soul into her profession. Okay. Spoiler alert, that is in her obituary. Oh. Don't worry, she's not murdered. Okay. Still sad, but not that awful. Brian also has one sibling, a younger brother named Derek. A lot of Derek's information is private because he doesn't want it out in the world, so I respect him. Brian attended local schools, which would have been Pickering Elementary School, Pickering Ridgeview Junior High School, and Pickering High School. While in high school, Brian played competitive tennis. He also learned to play the guitar and joined a band that played around at local house parties. Super cool. Nice. Right? Nice. During his senior year, deep into his band, Brian grew out his hair. There are, like, a few pictures. I'll try to get one. I know. One in our photo suite. He had this, like, collarbone-length, shaggy, layeredy, floofy beach hair going on. Okay. Yeah. I see you, Brian. I know. <laughs> and that year, he was also captain of the tennis team. Oh. And his coach told him that if he wanted to compete in, like, the rest of the matches that tennis season, he would have to cut his hair, which is so weird. Why do you need to cut your hair in tennis? I don't know. It's probably just a uniform look. That's what I thought. But Brian was like, okay, I quit tennis. Go Brian. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So that's who this person is. I don't mess with my hair. I know. The coach was like weird and relentless about his hair, but Brian was like, bye. Okay, it doesn't matter. He then graduated uh, in the spring of 1997. And that fall, he began studying at Ohio State University, where six years later, he earned his master's degree in microbiology. Okay. Not easy. Mm-mm. Brian then went to Ohio State's College of Medicine, which is currently ranked the 33rd best medical school in the country. And that's nothing to sneeze at. Hmm. 30, 33 for like a ton of medical schools, that's good. Regarding Brian's education, 
It is frequently said that he was like a genius and a diligent straight-A student who was like super advanced and gifted, very high achieving. But the fact of the matter is like that's not true. Mm. It's one of those moments wherein you are the victim of something bad. So people feel the need to make you way, way more of a heightened version of who you were. And I don't think that's bad. I totally get it. But also, it's, it's not super accurate. OSU med school is a huge accomplishment. I'm not going to take that away from him whatsoever. But according to his family and friends, Brian was, was like an average student. Okay. He did well. He passed everything. He graduated. He got by. He had a high enough GPA to achieve well. But he wasn't like an insanely driven student. He loved music and playing the guitar and that like Jimmy Buffett beach life atmosphere that we're very familiar with because we live in it. But like um, there's a bunch of quotes from Brian that he says like, oh, my real goal is to just run away to an island and have a band and play music and live that Jimmy Buffett life. I feel that, Brian. (laughs) You live that, Leslie. I do. But he was very close to his mother, Renee, and and she worked in the medical field. As I mentioned earlier, she was a nurse. So what she really wanted was to see her eldest son become a doctor. And Brian really wanted to make his mom proud. So medical school it was, and that was it. At medical school, Brian met fellow student Alexis Wagoner, and the two fell in love. Yes. By the spring of 2006, which is when our story takes place, they seem to be very serious, too. They've been together for a while. She had keys to his house or his apartment. They were planning on going on vacation in Miami together for their spring break. Most people speculate that Brian had planned on proposing to Alexis during this trip. But again, there's absolutely no proof of that. Brian never bought a ring. He never looked at rings. He never talked about getting engaged. Mm -hmm. He never talked to her parents or his parents. It's just something that once he went missing, people were like, oh, but... I think he was going to ask her to marry him. Right, right. Was And he was still in school though, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. They yeah. both were. Yeah. Alexis is now a board certified OBGYN in Ohio. Okay. So she was in her process too. Right, right. But for some reason, every source is like, people thought they were going to get engaged then. There's no indication oh, that they were. Yeah. They just It's just something they said. It's like, I almost don't want to make it sadder for her. I don't either. Know? Well, she's married now and she has two kids. Right. She's fine. I'm sure she's fine. Thankfully. Now, I'm sure she's... Still processing. Of but. course, but she did. She does have that life. So yeah. clearly that's something she mm-hmm. wanted and she did get to get it. So we're good with that. Um, they would have just had a nice spring break or trip to Miami. Exactly. So that's the lead up. Now, before we get into the timeline of this case, I feel like that information is good that I just gave you, but it's like pretty sterile. Mm-hmm. Those are facts, but they don't really add up to a person. There's no personality there. And at the time, there wasn't yet Facebook or Instagram or any of those other current platforms. But that doesn't mean there was no online presence. Mm -hmm. What came before those, Leslie? MySpace. That's right. Let's read Brian's MySpace profile, shall we? Yes, let's get into it. Yeah, while a lot of the content has been lost to time because you can't, save some of it. The Wayback Machine, which is a great website, has preserved <laughs> enough of it to get a taste of who this guy was. And full disclosure, I um, I think I would have had like complicated feelings about him. Okay. As just like if I we were the same age in the same place at the same time. 
I probably would have really, really liked him, but gotten very, very burned by him, actually. Were you, you weren't too far off no. age-wise from him, right? No, he's because... like two years older than me. Okay, yeah. So, yeah. All right, let's 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 go through his MySpace now. So, I, confession, I never had a MySpace. Oh, Holly. I, I know. I was not like an early adapter to social media. I kind of like resisted it and didn't have it for a long time because I was afraid of having all my information out in the world. Oh my God. Yeah, true story. I didn't have any social media until after I got married. I got Facebook in like 2008, but I didn't have anything before that. So weird. So MySpace is very foreign to me. Huh. I, I And I haven't seen a lot of profiles either. So looking at them, I'm always like, why is this like... It looks so weird. First of all, it's like the whole screen is black. There's a little picture of him in the corner, like holding a guitar. He's super handsome. He has the Ohio State flag behind him. The type is bright green and bright orange. Yeah. And there is like uh, a couple little primitive gifts. One says the evolution of a man and woman. It's super misogynistic. It's like one's a monkey and one's a sexy lady. Oh. Um, <laughs> yeah, didn't age well, a lot of it. And then there's another primitive gif. That's um, one seagull standing stationary and another seagull like constantly flapping its beak. And it says, can you tell which gull is female? Oh. Also didn't age well. Not loving any of that. To begin, his handle is um, Sleeping Giant. Did you not use your name for MySpace? I don't know MySpace. Uh, no, you would have a, yeah, you'd have like a screen So name. it's like AOL, wherein you were like, could have any kind of weird little name. Right, hmm Okay. I think you could search for people through their names, but it was right, like, right. I think mine was like Super Lou or something. Okay. Yeah. He, he was a certain kind of college guy that I would totally Oh, yeah, because recognize. remember I told you about that weird guy that stalked me when I worked at FYE? Yeah. His was, um, his was like blue eyes something. Right. That yes, was I his, remember yeah. you having mentioned that. Yeah, so, so it is, it's like a screen name that you get. So Brian's handle is Sleeping Giant, which is the name of a mountain in Connecticut and land masses in both Hawaii and Fiji. It's also a song title from like 15 bands. Dream Theater being the most recognizable of the lot. It's also what Japan is sometimes referred to during the attack on Pearl Harbor and what some big old college dummies call their dick. Ew. You can pick out whichever (laughs) reference you think he was trying to make. Personally, I don't think it was necessarily any of them, but Mm. they're there if you want to pick one out. All right, so let's keep going, shall we? In this MySpace page. Brian's blurbs about me, colon. I am a second-year medical student at Ohio State University. Only two years to go. I have an awesome and amazing girlfriend, dot, 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 dot. She's super hot and lots of fun, dot, dot, dot. I really love music, and this whole doctor thing is really just a job, parentheses, only temporary, until I get my band together and put out a record. I want to own an island someday, or at least a beach so I can listen to Buffett all day and drink margaritas with my senorita. I play guitar. I also have lots of talents, and it would take too long to list them. And English is none of them, is not one of them. If you have any medical questions, feel free to send them to me. Although right now I don't know how I don't know much about medicine, but the only way to learn is from mistakes, right? So why not? And then a whole <laughs> line of periods. This profile was edited, blah, blah, blah. Who I'd like to meet, Colin, Eddie Vetter of Pearl Jam, because he helped hair metal come to an end. I would also like to burn one down with Bob Marley. I want to be an alien when I'm reincarnated, but not the wussy kind, the kind from the movie Alien. 
Nice. Great. Brian's interests. General. My girlfriend. Hanging with my friends. Enjoying life. Drinking. Traveling. Anywhere. Random road trips. Playing listen slash listening to music. OSU football. Tennis. Working out. Running. The beach. Deep sea fishing. Watching movies. Skiing. I am horrible. Big dogs. <laughs> medicine and science. The boring stuff to most. Doing things with my mom, who was the greatest, most wonderful person in the whole wide world, five exclamation points. Music. Some of the music I listen to. Pearl Jam, Oasis, Nirvana, The Verve, Blind Melon, Richard Ashcroft, Hard Fi, 80s, Stabbing Westward, The English Beat, Coldplay, Ben Harper, Pavement, Dinosaur Jr., AFI, Information Society, Third Eye Blind, Joy Division, Arctic Monkeys, Death Cab for Cutie, Our Lady Peace, Black Lab, Dave Matthews Band, The Shins, Nine Inch Nails, Radiohead, Static X, Billy Ocean, Block Party, Angelfish, The Dreaming, Fiona Apple, The Doors, Gin Blossoms, The Flaming Lips, Jesus, The Smiths, New Order, Garbage, Hall and Oates, <laughs> Louis the Sixteenth, <laughs> The Music, Not a Surf, Wolf Mother, VHS or Beta, Guns and Roses, Afghan Wigs, Bob Marley, Elton John, Bell and Sebastian, Caps yeah. Locked. Okay. Mm-hmm. Movies, Gladiator, The Godfather 1 and 2, only, only 1 and 2. For sure. Apocalypse Now, What Women Want. Yes. <laughs> alien <laughs> slash Aliens, Wedding Crashers, The Lord of the Rings, Angelina Jolie movies. Doesn't matter which one, apparently. Not at that time. Nope. Black Hawk Down, <laughs> King Kong, Star Wars, The Older Ones, yep. Hotel Rwanda, Donnie Darko, From Hell, Leviathan, Rushmore, Anchorman, and The Matrix. Some of them are pretty good. He's no, he's got he's got good taste. All right, I'm digging. Yeah, you would have liked him, and then he would have burned you. Oh, I feel like that's the guy. Television, Grey's Anatomy, still on TV. How is that possible? <laughs> the OC, History yes. Channel, the whole History Channel. Because the History Channel, that was that was it. I guess it yeah. was so good then. Hollywood, True Stories, ESPN, Poker. Judge Judy, Saved by the Bell, Mythbusters. Shout out to Mythbusters. I love that show. Tennis. Tennis on TV. Yeah. Stupid reality shows and Skinamax. So soft porn on basic cable. Mm -hmm. But I feel like I don't, I'm getting the vibe that he's being funny about stuff. Yeah. I'm sure he was super charming and lots of women liked him. Yeah. Like, what's his number? No, just <laughs> Exactly. He's extremely good looking, too. Books. The Da Vinci Code. Everybody liked the Da Vinci Code. Lord of the Rings trilogy. So you guys would have so much to talk about. So much. <laughs> Michael Crichton books. Angels and Demons. And the Roald Dahl books. All of them. I guess. Yeah. All right. I feel like that was repetitive, though, right? Like the... Roald Dahl? No, like the... Da Vinci. Oh, I guess oh, and maybe he was just naming. It's the same author, yeah. Maybe he was just naming them. Heroes. Me, mum. She will always inspire me to do my best, and I don't want to let her down. Medical school. Okay. Medical mom. Didn't yeah. want to disappoint mom. We talked about that. So, Brian's details. Status in a relationship. Here for friends. Orientation. Straight. Hometown. Pickering, Ohio. Body type. 6'2". Athletic. Very true. Ethnicity. White. Caucasian. Religion. Christian or other. Zodiac sign, Aquarius. Smoke or drink, no and yes. Children, someday. Education, grad, professional school, occupation, medical student, income less than $30,000 a year. Brian schools, 
Ohio State University College of Medicine, 2004-2008, Ohio State University Main Campus, Ohio State University Lancaster Branch, Pickering High School. You get it. Brian's Companies, OSU Hospital. And then before that, he worked at JCPenney for a while. Nice. Yeah. There's your retail buddy. Okay. So then we also have a few comments from friends. I don't know how long they saved them or how MySpace worked, if it was like a Facebook wall or what it was, but there's 11 of them. Now, a lot of them are from Alexis after his disappearance. Okay. Which I will read in a second, but the ones that were before he went missing were Alexis on February 2nd, 2006 at 1021 p.m. You are one gorgeous man. Oh, Yeah. Ohio Dan, which is his cousin, uh, and that's on February 11th. This is his birthday, by the way, February 11th, 2006, 2.37 p.m. Happy birthday, man. I only knew because MySpace reminded me. Well, Facebook does that too. Very nice. But that doesn't make it any less sincere. <laughs> All right, cousin Dan. Alexis, February 14th, 2006. Happy Valentine's Day, Brian. I love you, and I can't wait to see you later today. Mwah! Transmission, March 26th. Welcome. The Information Society brings back memories. I don't, I don't know what the fuck that is. I don't, yeah, I don't remember. Mm-mm. I don't know. So, and then the last one is the, the day Brian disappeared. March 31st was just cryptic and I didn't realize it. March 31st, 2006 at 8.58 a.m. So that's the morning and he disappeared very late that night. And this is from his friend Clint, who he went out with last night, that night. And it says, ladies, don't believe a word this man says. He loves the ass tags. What are ass tags? I don't know. Like tramp stamps? Maybe. I didn't look it up because I didn't want to Google ass tags. I don't know. There are a lot of things I'll Google for you guys. <laughs> Ask tags isn't one of them. Yeah, I guess maybe a tattoo. That's what I was thinking. But like, this is your I public. Don't know. What time was he saying it? Eight fifty-eight in the morning. It's a weird time. Yeah. I guess he maybe was just still up and drunk. Maybe, but that's the day. So um, we're gonna get to this in a minute. But March thirty-first is was the last day of finals, and that's why they went out that night. So the spring break started like that evening. Okay. So that morning they might have had their last one. They might have stayed up all night studying, but they certainly weren't, I mean, for a fact, they weren't out partying. That wasn't a thing. Yeah. Also, uh, Brian has a very committed girlfriend. So ladies, he likes the ass tags on your public MySpace. Someone who is in a committed relationship. If you saw on their that kind of thing on their public social media, like on their Facebook wall or on an Instagram comment or something now, it w- it would be alarming a little. You'd be like, why are you saying that? Yeah, I, I'm trying to place myself back to MySpace days. But also remember, he's 27. He's not 22. I this know. is college, but it's medical school. So he's not like super young. I think... That it was a bit more wild over there, from what mm-hmm. I remember. Maybe I don't know, but it he wasn't had as this- it wasn't as refined. It, and it was these quick. It was like just messaging people. Like remember when Facebook was like that too, where you would just write on people's walls, like, yeah, "Hey, what's up?" Definitely, but this is so public, and it's such a thing that's like against. Like the only other person that's commenting is his girlfriend. 
I know, but I recently went back to my Facebook posts from this era. Okay. And they are equally— Yeah, you sent me like a hundred of them. They, they are great. equally as weird, the okay. things that I that right. I posted on people's wall and what people posted on my wall. And I'm like, we would never do this now. Are they about ass tags? Can you tell me what an ass tag is? I'm just going to—I'm going to just—I'm going to look it up. You, you, you look it up. I Google so many horrible things. That one's for you. So yeah, that's his MySpace page, which I I think is like a, a way better snapshot of who he is than just like a bunch of sterile facts. So that's why I wanted to read all of it, which is a lot. Uh, and we can gather a few things from it. He had a lot of hobbies. He liked so much music and movies. And he really, 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 really loved his mom. Brian and his mother, Renee, were very close. Um, like everybody in his family will confirm that. So when she passed away, tragically, of blood cancer, some places say bone cancer, it is a form of leukemia, which I think is blood cancer, but I could be wrong. You can, it's, the details are not like provided everywhere. So I guess you can pick whichever one you think. But anyway, her passing on March 6th of 2006, which is right before his disappearance, hit him extremely hard. He had a very difficult time even, like, dragging himself out of bed to go to her funeral. Mm. It was very hard for him, which was understandable. Right. Um, there's, there's one source that said he showed up late and extremely, like, distressed to her funeral. Like, they were waiting for him. But Renee, his mother, is the one who wanted him to be a doctor. And so even though she had just passed away, he just kept going, which is impressive given what grief can do to a person. According to the Bereavement Support Program at several major American hospitals, grief can make you sleepless, unable to focus, unable to eat. It can cause back pain, joint pain, headaches and stiffness, chest pain, irritability. It can also lead to extreme anxiety and panic. But Brian wasn't just experiencing grief either. He had to have been experiencing a fair amount of stress and sleeplessness for other reasons as well. After all, he was lest we forget, a second-year medical student. And the American Medical Association states that medical students are three times more likely to die by suicide than their counterparts in the general population due to the extreme stress that they're under, not just because of school, not just academically, not just at a hospital, but also as a responsibility to their family. A lot of them feel very, very much like they're doing something for their whole family too. They, so they feel the pressure on so many different angles. So it sounds to me like Brian could have been marinating in a pressure cooker of horrible feelings and panic. We don't know for sure that he was, but statistics say that it's very, very possible. But spring break was just three weeks away. He would be able to relax on a beach in Miami with his girlfriend at that point. Maybe he just saw the light at the end of the tunnel and pushed through. Brian slogged through his final exams, which ended on Friday, March 31st, 2006, his girlfriend, Alexis, had finished a bit before him and headed back to Toledo, where she was from, to spend the weekend with her parents. Some sources say she went back to her parents' house for the weekend before spring break because her family dog was dying. Aww. Maybe it was true. It's inconsequential. Maybe it wasn't, but it's in two sources, so I figured I'd tell you guys. But it also makes sense that, like, when you get a break from school, you see your family. Right. So if you were going away for a while you might go home first so that you could also see them and then go on your vacation. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, that made total sense to me. So that's what she did. That Friday night, 
the 31st, Brian went to dinner with his father after he finished his finals at an East Side Outback Steakhouse. Some sources speculate without evidence that Brian had been angry at his father for having an affair with another woman while his mother was dying, which in moving forward would be a very convenient explanation for some things. It would explain why he like ran away from his life, but there's no proof that that's even a little bit true, which makes it feel slanderous. Right. Like I don't even know where they got it from. It also seems drastic to fully run away from your life for that reason. I mean, if I you, don't I mean, I guess if you're maybe, relation, whatever. It's a, it's a it's a tiny little thread that they can unravel, okay. right? And there's none of them in this case. Mm. But there's no proof of that. I feel like somebody one time said it in conversation and then like a couple sources latched onto it. Okay. And that's it. There are also sources that like to say he and Alexis were at odds and they were they actually weren't happy, but there's Do you no, remember where you heard that from? Like what uh, source? Two different true crime blogs online. So okay. not actual journalistic sources. Okay. I read all of them. I read Reddit. I read all of the bloggy things. I also read newspaper articles. I also read police reports. I, I read so much and listened to so much on this case. And again, these are like very fringe sources. Sometimes those sources are like surprising and they mm-hmm. come up with information that other people just didn't get and they're correct. But in this case, I don't necessarily think it's true, but I do feel like I should just give everybody everything. So that's part of it. Okay. What we do know for sure is that Randy, Brian's father, said that Brian looked very tired that night, that he was very burnt out from finals. Brian told his father that that past week he had pulled a couple all-nighters to prepare. Again, not uncommon, but also like exhausting. Mm. Then he went on to say that he was excited to go out to a few bars with his friends to blow off a little steam that night. They planned to kick off spring break with a bar crawl. Randy told Brian that he didn't think that was a good idea, given that he looked super tired, but Brian just kind of shrugged off his father's concerns. And after dinner came to a close, he said goodbye and headed back to his apartment on King Avenue. Once he was there, Brian sent a message to his brother, Derek, about meeting up at a bar because Derek was supposed to meet up with them that night. Derek replied that he had been downtown at a comedy club with his girlfriend and the show was going on longer than anticipated. He said that they weren't going to come on the little bar crawl that night because it was getting late and they were tired and they had already been drinking and kind of just said, all right, you have fun, good night, signed off, which is something that to this day, like Derek kind of holds guilt for because he thinks like, well, what if I had gone? Would I have paid more attention to Brian? Would I have kept track of him better? Would he have not wandered off? Would he have not done whatever he did because I was there? There's no way to know, Mm. which is I think is super sad. While some sources claim that Derek also was the recipient of a $20,000 inheritance when his mother died and Brian received nothing, there's no evidence of that either. But there are some sources that say this caused tension between the brothers. Hmm. Well, first of all, let's just pretend it is true. Medical school costs way more than $20,000. So if Brian got medical school and Derek got $20,000, I think maybe Brian won. Right. So there's that too. But there's also like, this is not heavily reported. A lot of this case is like that. It's like some people Mm -hmm. say this, some people don't. There are some things where this is reported. Either way, if we just proceed like that's true, I don't think it's that offensive because like one kid got medical school. Right, because where was Derek not in school? No, he was, he was in college, but he, he wasn't going to medical school. Okay. 
So it stands to reason that you would be like, well, I we sent this one kid to 10 years of school. The other one will get the inheritance. That just makes sense to me. Uh, there are also numerous sources connected to the family that stated that Brian and Derek had grown much closer since their mother's passing and that they weren't at odds because of any inheritance. And this is confirmed in a lot of things that Brian said previously. He said that he and Derek had leaned on each other for support. Their relationship had gotten stronger. And and that, again, that to me seems to check out. Mm-hmm. Yes, you would turn to the person you were closest to for support. For sure. So Brian, after Derek said that he and his girlfriend weren't coming out for that night, was kind of left in his apartment to wait for his friend, Clint Florence, to arrive so that they could head into town and go to on this little bar crawl together. So now, Leslie, we got to get in the mood for spring break, bar life, <laughs> 2006. So if we were in a bar in 2006, what would we be listening to? What would the big songs be? What was the moment? Well, thank you, Holly. I would love to tell you about this moment in time. I'm so excited. (laughs) Uh, Specifically because I was a freshman. I was a freshman, so this was... Oh, this is your time. This was my time. I was a freshman in college. Uh, There was a bar that allowed us to be out. Oh. There was also a 18... The other bars locked you up in a basement. Yeah, where we could dance, so these songs... Are they? They are just me. <laughs> they Give them to us. Me. All right. You ready for the first one, Holly? I've never been more ready. Tell me if you know who sings this one. Uh, probably not. Keep going. I'm bringing sexy back. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Other boys don't know how to act. Yeah. <laughs> do you Do you know that one? I'm bringing sexy back. Is it, yeah. is it Miss Justin Justin Timberlake? It sure is. Yeah. Featuring Timberland. Oh, Timberlake featuring Timberland. That's right. That's right. Love it. All right. Next up. I'm on tonight. You know my hips don't lie and I'm starting to feel it's right. Oh. <laughs> Do you remember that one? Shakira, Shakira. That's right. <laughs> yeah. They say it my right My hips in the song. don't lie. They don't lie. They tell the truth all the time. All right. So besides those bangers, bangers. We, also, we also had Carrie Underwood. Who sang Before He Cheats. Remember that one? That was a big, that was a good one. That's like a karaoke song too. Mm -hmm. A lot of girls really like to get a lot of anger singing that song. There was Black Eyed Peas, Pump It. Pump It. Louder. (laughs) Pump It. That one. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Um, The Pussycat Dolls also made a comeback this year. So that song Buttons was on. Oh, loosen up my buttons, babe. That one. See, you know all the songs. Yeah, Uh, I remember that. One of my favorite songs by Rihanna was SOS. Not under my umbrella. No, SOS. (laughs) Do I know? Oh, do I know that one? SOS, babe. Someone help me. Okay. Yeah. Took a minute. <laughs> Took a minute. Sorry. Um, then there was Panic at the Disco had just come out the year before, but their song finally became popular, which was I Write Sins, Not Tragedies. Oh, I love that. That's a good one. Yeah. Uh, there was also Dance Dance by Fall Out Boy. Oh, no. Dance Dance. You remember that one? <laughs> the end. That was it. That was dance it. Dance Dance. Done. Well done. It's, it's also Carrie Underwood's song. Yeah. You don't remember that song? No, I don't. That one. Oh, I love this one. You just talked about Panic at the Disco, so my whole brain is <laughs> closing the goddamn door. It was like, uh, dance, dance, and these are the lives you love to lead, something like that. 
I'm not old. I'm have to dance, listen to it. Dance. I'm just maybe I'm just old and not with it. That was Whatever. before I was married. I was still like a little bit cool. And then this was also the year for Walk It Out. Walk yeah. It Out. All right. Walk It Out. Yeah, it was like that dance. Now walk it out. Oh, now walk yep. it out. Mm-hmm. All now right. Walk it out. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, the Laffy Taffy. Do you remember the Laffy Taffy one? I remember that it is a candy that most kids hate at <laughs> Halloween time. And it turns into a rock when it's cold. <laughs> Correct. There were so many. There were so many good songs. And then there was also The Fray was big, How to Save a Life. Oh, that was, okay. Yeah. That's a depressing bar I song. I know, but it was still people sang it. Beyonce had Check on it. Um, okay. Chasing Cars by Snow Patrol. Okay. And uh, Hey There, Delilah. Oh, God. Yeah. You buried the lead on that one. I know. <laughs> oh, and Bad Day by Daniel Powder. <gasps> like, yeah. you had a bad day. Yeah. <laughs> So everyone who left American Idol got that. Yeah, <laughs> okay. yeah, for sure. And okay. uh, yeah, there there were some good songs. That was that was that. Nickelback was even on there for a while. I don't oh, know why. No, Nickelback. But Nickelback was there. Oh no, <laughs> nobody likes them anymore. What was the flip with Nickelback? Why did people suddenly hate them? They liked them for a minute. No, I think I don't know. All their songs like. <laughs> well, that's the thing. Yes, <laughs> yeah. It's all the same songs, yeah. I think, is the problem. Know. But I think that if you liked them, then you liked, then you like them. I, it's like, uh, like, like a Brian with, uh, with um, Jimmy Buffett. You if you Jimmy like Buffett. Jimmy Buffett, you're just you're gonna like everything he puts out. Blew out a flip flop, whatever. Yeah, I got it. All right, so those are fun. I feel like I'm in a bar in 2006. I was allowed to be in a bar in 2006, so I can, I can. Kind of put myself there. I was not, but I was You were there. anyway. <laughs> no, you weren't. Diane listens mm-hmm. sometimes. There were some bars that were 18 over. We had our section and we had to stay there. <laughs> okay. And that's what you did. And you followed and the rules every time and you drank a Coca-Cola. I did. I was good. I looked like I was 12. Yeah. It was It was almost impossible for me to get in to these 18 and over bars oh, yeah, when I, had I was a, like 21. I had a terrible time too. Yeah. Anyway. Um, so 2006, we are listening to the Black Eyed Peas and maybe sometimes Nickelback, and we had a bad day and all those things, and Brian is waiting for Clint in his apartment because they are going to go into town and get hammered so all is right with the world. Going into town and getting hammered is like a super college thing to do. But first, a word about town. We're talking about downtown Columbus, Ohio, an area that used to be not great. The bars were kind of divey, the crime rate was high, and you didn't really want to be on the streets late at night. But in the year 2000, the Nationwide Arena opened in downtown Columbus, which is an NHL venue, home to the Columbus Blue Jackets, and with its construction came the revitalization of the whole area. Commercial spaces were bought up uh, by restaurant chains and nicer establishments. The area began to build up uh, like a pretty fun nightlife scene. In addition to that, in order to help build up their reputation— For new students, Ohio State University partnered with a group called Campus Partners who brought up, um, who bought, sorry, up a bunch more commercial space. So they did like basically the same thing the arena area people did where they bought up kind of burned out commercial spaces and then they brought in more reputable like chain restaurants and newer, more up and coming people to create this like pretty trendy, cool nightlife. So that if you wanted to be a student at Ohio State, you'd be like, oh, Columbus is really cool. I want to be in that environment. Yeah. And I I was here for 
um, like I would visit that area. Oh, really? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So did maybe you went and to it this was it was later, bar. so it was like 2010 mm-hmm. that I was in that area, and it was okay. Yeah, by 2006, and then clearly by 2010, there was like the scene was built up nicely. Mm-hmm. There were a lot of restaurants and bars. There were shops and clubs. There were places to hang out. So students and non-student young people alike really never wanted for something to do. Mm-hmm. With all that niceifying, of course, also came added security. There were an increased police presence everywhere. Bars had security guards. Every building establishment and major street had multiple security cameras. If you were downtown, you were being documented while you were there. So that is the area that we're going into. And it's 2006, so yes, everywhere you go, there are, there are electronic eyes on you. Mm-hmm. Clint arrives at Brian's apartment a little before 9.30, and he and Brian jump in possibly Clint's car. There is dispute about how they got to their original destination. We know Brian did not drive. His car remained at his apartment. And we know that at some point, Clint's car went back there as well. I don't know how they got to this place. Neither does anybody else. But they did. And they went to a bar called, drumroll please, the Ugly Tuna Saluna. (laughs) I nearly died when I read that. (laughs) The bar itself, which is now closed, was really, really gimmicky. It had this, it's so bizarre. It's got like almost a Carlos and Charlie's vibe for anybody who's been to like Cancun or Cozumel or something. It looks like a vacation bar. Hmm. I guess like a Kate May reference I might give you is if you really turned up the dial on cabanas. Okay. Uh, Yeah, that's what I was thinking. So much kitsch. Like there are surfboards and fake palm trees and shiplap everywhere and signs that are like Key West this way and this one that way. Yeah, it has like this bizarre tropical island vacation theme, which is very strange to me for the middle of Ohio. Mm Mm-hmm. But, like, I mean, whatever works. And Brian loved a tropical experience, so maybe he was drawn there because of that. Their slogan was, quote, fresh fish, ugly owners. Where were they getting the fresh fish from? And the ugly owners. I don't know why you're advertising that. (laughs) I have no idea. It's very strange. I mean, I guess there's water over there, but. Yeah, but then again, they also had something that was, I've never seen anywhere else. They had a very late happy hour. So they would run their happy hour from 8 p.m. to 10 p.m., And their happy hour was fucking dangerous because it featured, for $1, Mm -hmm. either shots or well drinks that they mixed with, like, an eyedropper of mixer and a giant cup of alcohol. Yeah. So this is is correct uh, Mm -hmm. because, so in— in New England, at least, and even down here, mm-hmm. happy hour a lot is like the beers, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that was the same. Like, so when I was in college in Massachusetts, we were like heavy on beers. It would be like yeah. dollar drafts yes, or like pitcher, pitchers. $2 pitchers, mm-hmm. whatever. But my cousins that are all from Ohio and like West Vir- uh, mm-hmm. like Virginia and stuff, when they came over to visit us, they didn't drink beer. They just drank liquor and they would only drink by shots. I thought that was... My brother and I were like, oh. I thought that's very odd too. But now that you're saying that that's something that lots of people did there, it seems a little less odd behavior for him. But that's like, mm-hmm. that's what the rest of this is, them just drinking shots. Yeah, that's just what they did. They would have like maybe a beer, but they mostly, yeah. like he thought it was weird. My cousin thought it was weird to like get a pitcher and he would just be like, oh, let's just do like a shot 
and they and it wasn't like he would be like shot after shot after yeah. shot all the time. But yeah, that's so we thought that weird. was crazy. <laughs> so then, if you combine the fact that this bar had dollar shots, dollar extremely strong well drinks, and a ten dollar credit card limit mm. in two thousand and six, when most people didn't carry cash, you're you're at like card level then. Mm-hmm. You just get like a lot of very very drunk students. Also, I have looked and there is no explanation for the name of this bar. Huh. It doesn't exist. I googled it. I tried all the other ven- like avenues to look at. I looked at their website and stuff. Beyond trying to contact the owner, which like, <laughs> I don't need to get that deep. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um it it just doesn't it seems so weird to me that I feel like there would be like a how we got our name section in the menu or something and there yeah. there isn't it doesn't exist. Um and it's a strange name but maybe not the strangest and bars have a long history with bad and weird names. English pubs are just named after like livestock and found objects. Nothing better than <laughs> a pint at the heifer and penny whistle. Yeah. <laughs> They're all like that. So but Leslie, do you maybe you know of other weirdo bars? Maybe one where both very familiar with. Yeah. Maybe another ugly bar. Mm. <laughs> Why is that a thing? Well, Holly, I, I do. So just off of the top of my head, I yeah, have yeah. like five that I could probably tell you oh, about. Like a, like a top five almost? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. Okay, so um, the first one, I'm just going to get it out there. It's a local to Holly and I. I worked there. Okay. Uh, it's called The Ugly Mug. It's in Cape May. Also ugly, but they have reasons for their name. So. Sure, sure. So it opened in the 1940s and it started as a fisherman's club. Mm-hmm. And the mug club members all had their own mug. And when they went out to sea, they hung their mugs up on the ceiling and it would face the it would face towards the ocean. And that would tell all like their drinking buddies like, hey, I'm out, so I won't be at the bar. So like that's kind of cute. It's so weird that they still have some that are faced the opposite direction. Well, so over the decades, the bar became more of a local and tourist spot. And many people, not just fishermen, became mug club members. Yeah. So now there are hundreds of mugs that hang from the ceilings and also like on the walls because they they're like, everywhere. Yeah, because they like needed to find spots for these mugs. Um, and if a mug is seen facing towards the sea, that now means that the person has died. And so, yeah. So it, it's oh, like, I like that less. I know. Well, but it's like kind of it's, it's nice kind of though. sweet now. Yeah, yeah. So if you have a mug that's up there, and then and then you pass. Your family members will come, or the bartenders, they'll turn it, and then people will come down there, and they drink out of the mug as, like, a remembrance. That's, like, your family. Now I'm sad. Yeah. Oh, the mug. And so um, people could just get, like, a membership and have Mm -hmm. this mug, but it's actually—I don't even think they open it up to anybody now because they have too many. Oh, really? They close it? Yeah, because there's nowhere to hang them now. But the only way that you can get a mug now is by winning the froth-blowing contest, which they do every year. Oh, yeah. yeah, They've been doing that since the 50s. Oh, wow. You have to blow the foam head off a beer across the bar. Mm -hmm. That's the froth-blowing contest. People Mm -hmm. wear, like, Rain's Liquors. It's bananas. I know. I got pretty far one year. Did you? Mm -hmm. Good for you. I never did it. The Um, mug also has, like, an insane... They have terrible Tuesdays, which you yes. get like quarter beers if you win the like battle of the bar side. Yeah, I don't know how do they do that anymore. It was bananas. They still do, but it wasn't as as terrible <laughs> as it was. When I used to go there, there was like an inch and a half of beer on the floor after a certain yes. point in time. I remember people like laying on the ground, just oh. like saturated, so hammered they couldn't handle their lives. It was so bad. It was insane. And I had to waitress those nights. Chaos. And 
I made so much money. It the ladies' wild. room bathroom had like a shower <laughs> curtain for a door for the longest time. Yeah, I think they it's fixed still that. a shower curtain. No, they fixed it since, but it was, yeah, it was rough. <laughs> it was very rough. Anyway, continue. All right, so number two is Ray's Happy Birthday Bar. Ooh. This one's in Philadelphia. I love it. Yep. I, I also can go there. Yes. It was originally just named Ray's Bar. Boring. But when people walked and when people walked through the, the door, Ray, the owner, right, right, right. would sing happy birthday to them just instead of just r- saying regardless? hello. Yeah. Instead okay. Of, that was his hello, have, singing happy birthday. Was, did Ray have like a head injury? Or? I don't know. All right. Well, okay. but he died. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> Ray died. I'm sorry, Ray. And I assume from what I could find, because it was his daughter-in-law that spoke about this, so I assume his son and daughter-in-law took it over. And they decided to rename the bar to remember their father. So now if you go to Ray's for your birthday, the bartenders will give you a big hat to wear, a free shot of cake vodka, a candle to make your wish, and then they will ring a bell behind the bar and everyone will start singing happy birthday to you. And they also take pictures for you that they'll post on like their social media and all this stuff. I like that. I, I, I want to go to Ray's happy birthday bar. Yeah. That's so cute. I know. Okay. We got to go there for our birthday. That's so awesome. <laughs> Number three is the Fainting Goat in Washington, D.C. I love Fainting Goats. Mm-hmm. It was named... You'll love why this was. I love them so much. If I didn't have coyotes, I would have them in my backyard. Continue. So it was named after one of the owners, Greg Algae, I think his name is. Of course. A L G I E. His friends say when he was around girls, he would turn into a fainting goat (laughs) because of how nervous he got. And that's why they named the bar (laughs) Fainting Goat. That's great. <laughs> Poor Greg. Um, his friends say he's fine. He he knows himself. Yeah. He's okay. Self-aware. Yeah. <laughs> Got the joke. Good job, Greg. He's he's doing okay. Perfect. All right. Number four. This one is a weird one. I love weird. It's called Psycho Susie's Motor Lounge and Tiki Garden. And Tiki Garden. It's in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Okay. And is owned by Leslie Bach. Love the name. Yeah. That's good. So maybe you. Yeah. <laughs> so Got it. Leslie has a few different places, all with equally weird names. She has St. Sabrina's, which is a tattoo shop, Donnie Dirk's Zombie Den, Undead Frank's Zombie Bites, and Betty Dangerous Country Club. I want to go to all of those. All are part of a fictitious dysfunctional family storyline. <gasps> Each place has its own persona. That's so cool. Yeah. So Psycho Susie is the second oldest sister. The story is she went on vacation with family and got shipwrecked. She went insane. And when she came back to Minneapolis, she decided to open a tiki place where people with tattoos could drink beer and eat pizza. Who is this person? I love them. I know. Well, it's Leslie Bach. I love you, Leslie Bach. (laughs) I also love that she's just like... A business owner. She has so many places. That's great. Get well, it, she girl. She like wrote a whole story. Oh. And then number five, um, your husband will like this one. Oh, I'm sure. It's called Hop Sing Laundromat in Philadelphia also. So he can go to this one. I think he's talked about this before. Okay. So the owner, uh, Lay, loves the show Bonanza. <laughs> like you do. <laughs> yeah. There's a character named Hop Sing. And on the show, every time he gets into an argument with the Cartwright family, who he worked for, he would threaten to quit and move to Virginia City in Nevada and open a laundromat with his cousins. 
he dreamed. <laughs> what a specific <laughs> threat. I know. So that's just like the storyline of Hop Singh. Right? He dreamed of working for himself. Uh, but unfortunately, this never happened, partly because the show was canceled. I don't know if it oh. was ever like that was going to happen in the show or not, but the show was canceled, so it doesn't just, matter. Yeah, it doesn't Got matter. Got it. So the owner, Lay, thought that he would open one for him. Aww. And Lay also felt that since the bar is located in Chinatown, naming his bar after one of the well-known Chinese characters was a perfect way to show his respect. Oh, I love that. I know. I thought that was cool. And then I did find a whole bunch of other weird ones. And so to kind of maybe help explain how the they got. The Tuna Saluna. Yeah. Um, a lot of them were just like, they just sat down and just came up with a weird name. Right. And sometimes they would just write on paper like column A, B, C, D. Yeah. And almost like we do on Facebook now. Mm-hmm. They just were picking weird names okay. and then put them together. So that's how some got created. Ray's Happy Birthday Bar was my favorite. Yeah. No. Tied with the one that has a whole family story. The Psycho Susie. Yeah, I want to go to all of those. Yeah. Uh, road trip. Crazy crazy bar name road trip. Who's coming? Yeah. It's like a tiki garden too. That sounds so fun. I know. And it's only in, where was that one? Minneapolis? Yeah. Uh-huh. Nice. Well, that was fun. Yeah. So we're back at the Ugly Tuna Saluna. No explanation. <laughs> uh, Brian and Clint arrive there at a little after 9.30. The tuna is located in a larger building with several other businesses. So it's like, it's like a weird way to have a bar. So you would walk into this bigger building, right? And then you go up an escalator. And then at the top of the escalator, there's like the entrance to this bar. But it's all kitschy. There's all like fake trees and like signs and a shark hanging above something. And it has the sign. And then you, there's probably a bouncer. And then you go in that door. And then it's like the bar is like a big big crazy rectangle. It's just like a big giant bar. So the the reason that is important is that there are security cameras at every point. Hmm. So across the street is a parking garage. There's a camera there. There's a camera on the exterior so that you can see them leaving the parking garage. There is a camera on the exterior of the building that the tuna is located in. There is a camera pointed on the escalator. You can see the doors. You can see the interior of the bar. It is very, 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 very heavily documented by security cameras. So Brian and Clint are caught on camera at all of those points. Parking garage, front door, escalator, front door of the bar, in the bar. And they sit in the bar for about 25 minutes, which I thought was weird until I found out about the happy hour. Now it makes total sense. Mm -hmm. They were there. They drank super cheap shots for 25 minutes, and then they moved on. And then they're documented leaving. They're documented leaving the bar, leaving the building, leaving the parking garage. The whole thing is documented. We know that happened for sure. And because they were doing a bar crawl, they they wanted to do shots everywhere you went, which now, now that you tell me that's more common there, it makes a lot more sense to me, considering it was, you know, drunk happy hour that made even more sense. So then they leave the tuna, and when they get to the outside part, Brian calls his girlfriend, Alexis, to check in with her. He leaves her a voicemail telling her he loves her. He can't wait for their trip to Miami. She's wonderful. And then hangs up. This is also very documentable. And you can ping the cell phone. You can tell he was there. He left this voicemail. All of that happened. So then Brian and Clint head towards the arena district. So that's by the um, the hockey arena where the, it was all like nightlife there too. Mm-hmm. And they stop at a bar on the way called the Short North Tavern where they also do shots and then leave, documented doing this as well, totally checks out. Uh, Then they next hit a bar called the Brothers Bar, which is like a really fratty bar. And while they're there, they encounter a couple friends. They hang out for like an hour. They drink 
more shots. And they still don't think it's like fun at that bar. You know how you like kind of wander around. You're like, this Mm -hmm. one's not fun. That one's not fun. And then you end up at the first place you went. Yep. Yeah. So that's exactly what happens here. So after they have a few more shots at Brothers Bar, Clint's like, listen, I'm going to call my friend Meredith and have us drive, have her drive us back to the Ugly Tuna because they were, they knew they couldn't drive. And also they had walked from the tuna. So Meredith agrees, and she meets them at the Brothers Bar, drives them back to the Ugly Tuna, which I guess wasn't the best place, but it sure was the drunkest. Meredith um, picks up the boys, and then they get back to the Ugly Tuna Saluna at 1.15 a.m. Now, this is when cameras capture them walking back into the Ugly Tuna. Okay. Now, the closing time at the Ugly Tuna is um, documented everywhere as being 2.30 a.m., Mm-hmm. But everybody who has ever been to a bar and stayed late knows that that means last call is going to be a little before two. And then they're going to try and start rounding you up and ushering you out because it's a college bar full of drunk, rowdy people. Mm-hmm. So when Brian, Clint, and Meredith get, get there, it's kind of understood that they have like, you know, 45 minutes of drinking left. And they intend to use it. Also, by this time, Brian is, like, visibly drunk. You can see him on a lot of security footage, and he's, like, doing that weird, like, shift for your weight from one foot to the next, like, lean on things thing mm-hmm. that, that you do when you're drunk. And it's not shocking. He's been doing shots all night. Also, at that point, there was a band playing at the Ugly Tuna, and the band was a local Columbus-based band called The Rock House. They play, quote, danceable 80s rock hits from the decade that was built on hairspray and spandex. Our goal is to transport the crowd back in time. They look like the pared-down all-male touring company of Rock of Ages, but one where every character is Stacey Jacks. <laughs> I bet they're really fun. They sound fantastic. To be honest. You know what's really funny? Brian loved them. Yeah. And there are points in the story where him, like, going and approaching and talking to the band is part of it. And yet in his MySpace profile, he's like, I like Pearl Jam because they destroyed hair metal. Right. Um, I know. Yeah. Anyway, these guys are wild looking and (laughs) I just enjoyed that fact that he was like rocking out to these like Brett Michaels type guys and yet his MySpace profile says that he hates that shit. But then he also loves Jimmy Buffett. I know. All I like is Pearl Jam. I'm so intense. I know. He was just, he I'm not speaking ill of him either. Like no, but his his MySpace profile was a very much a college student yeah, profile. I'm sure if we knew what he was like now, he would be like a kind, philanthropic, smart, well-adjusted, right. successful human. And he would also probably be like, I also love hair metal. Yeah. He probably would be fine with that now. Absolutely. He's like, I don't know what I was trying to prove. That's because we all grow up and he wasn't grown up yet then. Mm -hmm, So mm -hmm. that, and that's fine. You're allowed to not be grown up yet. Yeah. But, um. He had to be like, like deep. Exactly. He also had, and this comes into play too. He has a a tattoo on his arm that's a stick man from a Pearl Jam album cover. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I yeah, I believe that. He was he of was of that age range where it was like, yeah, he was a Pearl Jammer for sure. I mean, later Eddie Vedder like announced his disappearance at like a concert and tried to like oh, spread yeah. awareness. So yeah. the Pearl Jam okay. thing is it was was yeah. big and important. So anyway, Brian talked to these wild looking hair metal guys during one of their set breaks. Like he okay. was really into them. He yeah. was like, guys, well, he's I want to hang out. You're too. so fun. Yeah. yeah. Then at 1.55 a.m., Brian walked out the front door of the bar. 
So remember, that's still inside. He hasn't gone outdoors. Okay. He's just in that area that's all kitschy looking where there's a front door. Okay. So he walks out there to talk to two women who he was definitely hitting on. Mm-hmm. They say so, and the security footage shows him, like, leaning into them, like, talking into, like, their neck area. He was, like, very clearly— that, like, drunk flirting. Yep, yeah. exactly. Yeah, so then that only goes on f- for, like, a minute. It's very quick. And then he walks back towards the entrance of the bar. But this is a panning camera, so you don't see his feet actually cross the threshold and him enter the bar— but you see him get almost there. Now, a lot of people hang their hat on this. Okay. They say, well, I didn't see his body go inside the door. I can't say he definitely went back in that bar. Maybe he didn't. It seems like you'd have to be like a contortionist to be able to bail on that at that point. But like, I can't deny it. Maybe he didn't. But his friends, Clinton Meredith, do say that he came back inside. They saw him and he said one of two things. He either said, I'm going to go talk to the band or I'm going to go find some girls. Wildly different things, but the band, mm. but the the room was loud. Could have been anything. Uh, also, remember, um, he has a, a serious girlfriend who mm. thinks that the two of them are going to get married. Right. He's well, like, did she think that, or she thought that? Okay. Uh, but but like every everything know, yeah. of him in the public sphere also appeared that way. Right. But yeah, I mean, it's also how many guys do we know that mm-hmm. are like that? I so. know. I'm just saying this goes. Goes along with the, and yeah, the rest of the profile. Mm-hmm. So after whatever he says at one fifty-five, he, when he comes back in from talking to those girls, he staggers into the crowd, and Clint and Meredith lose track of him, but but not for long, for ten minutes, because at two o five, the bar starts closing down, or I mean, they lose track of him forever. But like this is when they realize. So 10 minutes pass, and then the bar starts closing down. The security guards are starting to, like, tell people they got to get the hell up out of here. They're telling you to settle up. They're trying to, like, round people up for the night and get them out. Mm -hmm. The band is also done, so they're breaking down their instruments, and they are using a service entrance to carry their equipment to their vehicles from the bar. People are paying their tabs and shuffling everywhere. Um, And Clinton and Meredith don't see Brian, so they do a lap of the bar. They don't see him anywhere. They walk through again. They don't see him again. Then they stand by the door for a little while thinking he's going to filter out with everybody. You know, you're like, I'll just stand here and wait. They don't see him. Then they call him. They both call him. And there are some sources that say Clint leaves them a voicemail. Some that say Meredith leaves him a voicemail. For all I know, they both left him a voicemail. We will never know. And they're just asking like, where the hell are you? Then they go check the bathrooms. She checks the ladies' room. He checks the men's room. They see nothing. Then... This is what gets me. All those things happen, right? That's a lot of stuff. That stuff happened in the course of four minutes, according to them. Mm-hmm. 2.05, they notice he's gone. By 2.09, they leave the bar. Four minutes? You're like, oh, I can't find my friend. And you give that situation four minutes before you, then they leave. They're done. They're like, we can't find him. Oh, well. And they leave. Hmm. Which to me is like intense. I would never leave a friend at a bar, especially just after four minutes of looking. But there are a lot of people that don't find this problematic at all for a 27-year-old male student. I say male because for a female, would, this would be nuts. That's what I was going to say. I think that it, that would have been insane for a female. Yeah. We would have been walking around trying to find. We would have been losing our minds screaming. Yeah. But I think 
who knows? I don't know if it I mean, was weird behavior. No, he some was, people say that he was not opposed to an Irish exit and had done similar things before. Though admittedly, not at a bar in town at 2 a.m. when he didn't have transportation. Right. So mind you, they're saying things like, oh, we think he just went back to his apartment by himself. But he didn't have a car. But it was, but this was still like all like on campus, right? So he could No, walk. they had to drive there. This wasn't somewhere where they walked. Right. I guess I they wonder would walk, how far You would drive away. into town and then you'd walk around town once you parked. Okay. Hmm. Yeah. I don't know. Oh, incidentally. Maybe they thought if they were talking to a girl, maybe they thought he like went with Yeah, the girl. we're going to get back to that in okay. a minute. Incidentally, the term Irish exit or Irish goodbye comes from a rather problematic assumption that um, all Irish people will leave a bar without saying goodbye in order to prevent people from knowing how drunk they really are and taking their car keys. Oh. I didn't realize it was mean. It's mean. Oh. <laughs> yeah. So, after they assume there has been an Irish goodbye, Meredith... <laughs> but we'll still say it. <laughs> yeah. Meredith drives her and Clint... Um, back to an apartment that belongs to an OSU professor. So Clint is um, like a professor's assistant. And so he is house-sitting for one of the professors he works for. So they take Meredith's car and they go back to this apartment. Again, they enter through a security, like they have to enter a code. Mm -hmm. They're documented getting into the parking lot, entering the apartment building. They definitely did that, 100%. And Brian was never seen or heard from again. The next morning, Clint and Meredith go back to Brian's apartment complex to pick up a car. Now, because of this fact, I'm I'm guessing that Clint also left his car there originally, and perhaps he and Brian got to the Ugly Tuna by a taxi, or they hitched a ride with another group of people going. No one can confirm, deny, or give information about how they got there. There's so many vagaries in this case. Hmm. And I don't know why Clint isn't confirming it either. Right. There are a lot of sources that say Clint drove, but then why was Clint's car back? Why were they going to get a car back at his complex? Right. Again, inconsistencies like this are the ones that drive me crazy in this case. So they get to Brian's apartment complex and pick up whatever car they were getting. They see that Brian's car is in the lot. They're like, I guess everything's fine. And then they just left. And then no one hears from Brian all weekend. And he's not answering his phone or his texts. He doesn't show up anywhere. Alexis, meanwhile, that message, he left her at like 10 that night. She gets it um, the next day and tries to call him back. He doesn't respond. It goes right to voicemail. By Sunday evening, Alexis is still getting sent directly to voicemail and hasn't heard back from him. And she begins to get worried that something is profoundly wrong. She and Brian are supposed to leave for Miami the next afternoon at 4 o'clock, and she hasn't heard a word from him in days. And so she heads to Brian's apartment, which I said before she has a key to, She parks in the parking lot, sees his car, enters the apartment. Nothing is amiss. His apartment is clean. His bed is made. His eyeglasses are on the nightstand. Everything looks fine. Alexis hangs out there for a little while, waiting, thinking he's going to come home any minute. But he never does. And in that interim while she's there, um, friends of his, I think it was might have been Clint, came back. And they were like, I wonder if Brian's home. And they saw the light was on in his apartment. And they were like, oh, I guess he's home. But it was just Alexis Mm. there. Okay. Yeah. So when he never shows up, Alexis calls Brian's father and she says, listen, I haven't heard from him in a couple days. We're supposed to leave tomorrow for Miami. I'm concerned. Randy agrees that it's weird. He tries to call Brian. Nothing. The next morning, Monday morning, he drives to Brian's apartment. Same situation. 
Car in the parking lot, everything is undisturbed, doesn't know what's going on. But then by 4 o'clock, when Alexis is sitting in the airport watching their plane take off without a single word from Brian, both she and Randy know that something is profoundly wrong, and they call the damn cops. So the cops respond really quickly to this case, which is nice. Um, the search is led by a detective named John Hurst. He, um, he did good work. He worked really hard on this case. It dominated a lot of his life. He was very obsessed with trying to find Brian. It's unfortunate that he still hasn't been able to. They immediately organize a search party of family members and friends. They crawl all over, like, Columbus, uh, the arena area, everywhere. They're looking in, you know, alleys, in dumpsters, in corners, in bars, in anywhere where he could have fallen asleep or gotten in a fight and got injured. They couldn't figure out, like, what must have happened to him. They looked at the riverbanks and in the local river. Just like anywhere a drunk guy could fall over, they looked, Mm -hmm. and there was nothing. They also shut down the Ugly Tuna and searched that place completely, and the owners were very compliant. They allowed police to come in and search through every nook and cranny. Nothing. The effort to find Brian was massive. And I mean, we can see evidence of it. I said I would read these on his MySpace page. Starting on April 3rd, 10, 18 p.m. Alexis, I love you so much and I just want you to come home. April 5th, 5.32 a.m. For anyone looking at this profile online, please let me know if they have heard from Brian. He has been missing for a few days, and there was a huge search and investigation looking for him. We have to check all of his websites occasionally, so he is not the one logging into MySpace as of right now. Hopefully he will be soon. Thank you very much. April 5th, someone named Michelle. I hope you make it home safely. April 6th, Alexis. We are still searching for Brian, so please, if anyone at all has information or any ideas, please, please let us know. April 8th, Alexis. To anyone who views this page, we still have not found Brian. It's been over a week. Please keep praying. Keep Brian in your thoughts. And Brian, when you log on to this page yourself, please know how much you are loved and how much we need you to come home. I love you so much. Alexis, April 13th. To anyone checking up on Brian, we still have not found him. I wish that I could tell you all that he has been found safe and sound. Please keep Brian in your prayers. And if you can, spread the word about him. Thank you very much. And Brian, if you happen to check your space yourself, I love you with all my heart. And that's where his MySpace ends. <sighs> I know. So, April goes by, nothing. The beginning of May goes by, nothing. And then there is a break-in at Brian's apartment. So somebody break in, breaks into his apartment. And initially, cops think that maybe Brian has come back to get some of his stuff. Mm. They think that... um Either he lost his keys or he's breaking in to make it, like, not obvious that it's him. But it doesn't really add up. First of all, it would be much sneakier if he just opened the door with his key, got his stuff, and left. And second of all, the things that went missing were not um, anything that Brian valued at all. Like, his guitars were left there and, like, anything else, like, any money he had stashed or hidden, they didn't uncover. Uh, And the police deemed that it was just a smash and grab by opportunists, people that had seen his name in the news and knew that that apartment was empty and they could get in there and steal stuff. Mm. So in the wake of all of this, everyone involved in this case was questioned, every single person. And every minute of that security footage was combed. And the police actually identified every single patron that entered or ex- that exited the front door of the Ugly Tuna Saluna that night. Wow. Every one of them. 
was tracked down and it took a long time to find all of them. They did. But I'm also sure that it was like a college campus bar. So like, yeah, yeah, probably made it somewhat, made that more possible to be done. Yep. And they, they like weighed the numbers and Brian was the only one that went in, never went out. Mm. They also polygraphed a lot of people that were with Brian that night. The two girls that he spoke to outside, their names are available. We don't need to say them. They didn't do anything wrong. Those girls were never polygraphed, oddly enough. They were spoken to by police, but they weren't asked to be polygraphed. I guess their story was just like kind of checked out. They were like, I don't know, he was hitting on us and then he left. Right. But his friends were polygraphed. Uh, Meredith was polygraphed. But Clint refused. The guy that he spent the whole night with, Clint, his like best friend, who was also a former roommate of his, someone who he had been very close with, but like had a brief falling out with, just like a college bro type situation. He refused to ever take a polygraph, still does. Does he have a reason why? Mm-mm. He just says he doesn't need to. Now, Brian's family, of course, latched onto this like, well, what, what, why won't you take it? If you, if you want to help us, you would take it. This doesn't make any sense. Yeah. And so people who are of that mind kind of think maybe he was involved. If you ask me, and there are other people that are of the same mind, I think that Clint knew that he left with a girl or something. But it's it's it doesn't matter now. None of that matters now. I know. I don't know why it would still be this way. But I, I mean, also, it's one of those things where you initially refuse and then you can't go back on what you said. You can't be like, well, my principles have evaporated, you know. Yeah, I guess. I don't know. A lot of people wonder what Clint knows, but they think that he definitely knows something. And it seems to me that he must, whether it's something as— Because why else would he be—I mean, not why else. Like, I don't think that—like you said, I don't think that it's weird that they would have just left him at the bar without knowing where he was or, like, left the bar without knowing where he was. But also, it makes sense if he left— if Clint was aware, like, I think he probably left with that girl or those people. Because Meredith took one who was with them and passed it. And so did Brian's father. Mm-hmm. And Meredith saw most of the same events that mm-hmm. Clint would have. So what does he know that is in addition to those things? Because she answered all the general questions, which means if he wouldn't answer, he knew something that she didn't say. Mm-hmm. Or at least that is what most people speculate. Or he could just be one of those people that's like, I don't want you to test me like that. I don't need to do that. Right. It just seems very incriminating that he won't do it. Yeah. So then, like, what did happen? Because Brian ne- never leaves. It just He just shuts off like, like a computer. It's, in, it's crazy. A lot of that people wonder, the first thing they think about is like, well, what's the bar look like, right? So like I said, the bar has that, like, two-tiered entrance. Once you go in, it's like a big rectangle um, with just like a stage that's like a just a step above. It's not like a high stage. It's just like a little platform. So it would be accessible to audience members. Um, There's bathrooms and there is a little terrace. So there's like a little outdoor part on the second floor. There is a front entrance. There is a service entrance, which also has a security camera. And then there is a fire exit, which has like the, it says there's an alarm on it. Like you can't exit it. You can't exit it. But a lot of people said that it was rather well known that that alarm was disabled Mm. and there is no security camera on that exit. Now, the service entrance and the the fire exit go 
go out back. They like lead down a hallway. And then this exit takes you into a construction area of the Ugly Tuna. Because like the area, like I said, was all being revitalized. So construction was common. And apparently they were like still fixing the basements of those buildings for storage. And a lot of, like, a police officer says that it would have been very treacherous to walk across if you were sober, and it would be even worse if you were drunk. But the band did it, and they were fine. Nobody died. And um, there was no pits. There was no, like, giant holes or, like, places where you could just, like, injure yourself horribly. It was was just a little construction. And then a lot of people also wonder about, like, was there roof access? Could you get up to the roof? I personally wonder— could you get out on that terrace and jump off? It's a second floor. It's not a 10th floor. It's not that high. Could you climb down? He was very athletic. Okay. So there are a lot of possibilities right there. Just because no one saw him exit doesn't mean that he didn't find a way out. There are also some people who speculate that the reason that people didn't see him exit was because while he was there, he put on a sweatshirt or a hat. And security camera footage is black and white or or not even black and white. It's just like grainy and it's not easily recognizable. So if he suddenly looked different, you might not think it was him. Okay. So these are reasons why he may have gone in but never come out. We don't know. his friends still didn't see him. Yes, correct. After the disappearance, Alexis called him every single night and the call went right to voicemail. She said she did that because she wanted to hear his voice. Mm. And that, I get that. Then one night in September, out of nowhere, the phone rang three times (gasps) and then went to voicemail. Authorities were able to ping this ring at a cell phone tower tower in Hilliard, which is 14 miles northwest of Columbus. A lot of people are going to argue that a ping isn't the most accurate way to locate Mm -hmm. someone because they can only narrow the location down to a few towers that have triangulated to Mm -hmm. one place. However, pings are accurate up to a mile or a mile and a half of a radius. So in a case like, say, the Delphi murders, that's not helpful because we had girls on foot and we need a wider radius. But 14 miles, that's a distance. Mm -hmm. That's enough to say he was in this other town. So while they couldn't find an exact location, it does seem that he went somewhere, or at least his cell phone did. His cell phone provider, which was singular at the time, so that's real dated, Mm -hmm says that the ring could have been a computer glitch and nothing more. Though, I did try to find how often a glitch like that might happen, and I couldn't find a single example. Hmm. So I don't know. Oh, gosh, that sent me chills. Right? Meanwhile, Brian's father, Randy, was tirelessly searching. He created a website to find him. There are are still MySpace, like, made profiles for, like, Brian Schaefer missing, and it's just his friend's, like, posting things about him and pictures and trying to find him. Randy was interviewed by the police a lot. He tended to, this this is where all the quotes about like, Brian was going to get married. Brian was the most ambitious student in the world. Brian was this, Brian was that. They come from a very grieving father who was desperately searching for his son. So of course, of course, he's going to say the best things about him in the whole wide world. That makes perfect sense. Um, And he, he was publicly pretty mad at Clint. He really believed that Clint was either involved in his son's untimely death and the cover-up of his murder or knew something about it. Mm -hmm. Then on September 14th, 2008, tragedy struck the Schaefer family yet again. There was a freak windstorm in the Columbus area, and Randy went outside to check on his property. 
And while he was doing this, the wind caught a large tree limb. It broke, fell on his head, and killed him. Oh, my God. I know. Which is such a freak occurrence. So after that happens, Randy's obituary runs online. And you know how when you have an online obituary, there's like a a guest book kind of thing where you can list condolences. And a private investigator that the Schaefer family had hired was combing these, keeping track of them all the time. And at one point, he sees a signature that says, To Dad, Love Brian, parentheses, U.S. Virgin Islands. Now, this suggests that Brian may have run away to start a new life in the islands. Love the islands. However, upon further investigation, this um, signature was found to have been posted from a computer that um, was accessible in the Franklin County Library and was determined to be a hoax. So some asshole did that, which is terrible. And from there, we're just at theories. Then it's just what what people think could have happened. Did he leave the bar or did he not? Could he have gotten out in any of the ways I said before? There's also um, a theory that if we're going to go with him saying, I want to talk to the band, Mm -hmm. which the band was like, how could I remember how many people I talked to that night? I don't know when they interviewed them later. And fine, they might've talked to a lot of people. But they did bring a big group with them. They had like friends that came to see them there. And then they left in the service entrance with a huge cloud of people. So if he like was shuffled into that crowd and a camera didn't like pick up on him specifically because it was that back entrance or something and he had his head down, he had a hat on, we wouldn't have known. Hmm. It's possible that he went out with the band. It's possible he went out the terrace door. Some people theorized that he left and we didn't see him, but then he he had an incident out in the street, like he was mugged or he was shot or, you know, for his cell phone and wallet or whatever. But like no one ever used his cell phone or bank account or credit cards. Nothing right. was ever touched again, just stagnant. So then there are people who think that he went out that back entrance fell in the construction, and that fall took his life. And then either the bar staff at the Ugly Tuna covered up his death. The construction company covered up his death, one of those purposefully. Or the scariest of all the options, he fell in the construction into an inconspicuous, like under the floorboards or in a corner situation. And on that Monday, construction company came in or like, you know, after the search ended, whenever. And they just cemented or drywalled him into the building. Ooh. If that's true, one, one, he could have been alive. Mm. And two, his body is still there permanently. Ooh. That's so scary to me. That is that's scary. really creepy. I don't think the bar staff covered it up. No. That's nuts. The bar staff, that, that bar was like very corporate and had like mm-hmm. lots of checks and balances. It would have been insane for them to do that. Why wouldn't they just say, yeah, we know what happened. Like, why Why wouldn't you mm-hmm. come forward with that information? Same with a construction company. Why would you find a dead body and then purposefully be like, we better just pour cement on it and not say like, this is probably a crime. We should call the cops. Right. That seems insane to me. But there are people who say both of those things could have happened. There are people who off the wall theorize that Clint killed him. When? I couldn't tell you. There is no time or place. Right. Then there is... The theory that he um, was seeing another girl on the side, that Clint knew about it, and that Brian had planned 
intricately on leaving and starting a new life that night Mm. for whatever reason. And Clint was the only person he told. Mm -hmm. So he had, he, that would mean then that he knew about all of these security cameras and he planned how to dodge them. Right. Which seems unbelievably intricate when he could have just run away a very much easier way. And also he, if he was visibly drunk. Yep. I mean, I suppose there's also always the possibility that something in his brain flipped that night. Mm-hmm. And he was like, I got to go. I just got to go. I gotta, I'm done. Right. Because a lot of people also point to the fact that his mother had recently died. He was very bereft. She was the reason he was in medical school. Maybe medical school was too much for him and he didn't want to stay there. And with his mother's passing, he kind of felt like he could, yeah, I don't know, relieve himself of that responsibility. Mm-hmm. But he felt responsible to other people like his girlfriend and his father. And so he just walked away because it was the only way he could do it. This is where that comes back where some people are like, well, his father had an affair. So he felt that, so he didn't feel any obligation to his father because Mm. he was mad at him in addition to leaving. Then there is the theory that he committed suicide. There, the only people, this theory is nuts. People say like, oh, well, the cell phone pinged 14 miles away. So he probably ran away for a few months turned on the cell phone thinking maybe he was going to have one last call with his girlfriend, decided against it, and then killed himself. It's an awful lot of, like, conjecture. That's making up a lot of things. Yeah. And there's still no body. Nope. There's nothing. There's nothing at all. In most missing persons case, there is something somewhere. This is like a a trap door opened and he's gone. Mm -hmm. Then perhaps one of the more far-fetched theories is that he was killed by uh, the smiley face killers. Mm. Do you want to tell us a little bit about those guys? Sure. Just real quick. Because yeah. I don't I don't know how much stake I put in this one either. Yeah. So dating back to the 1990s up until as recently as 2017, there were about 45 college-age males who were found dead after accidentally drowning in a body of water. Their deaths happen across 11 states, often after leaving a party or a bar. Most of the men were white, popular, athletic, and good students. Retired New York City detectives Kevin Gannon and Anthony Duarte, D-U-A-R-T-E. Duarte. 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 Um, I, the, there was a kid in my elementary school with that last name, and that's okay. how he pronounced it. Duarte. But it could be wrong. Okay. And Dr. Lee Gilbertson a criminal justice professor and gang expert at St. Cloud University in Minnesota, Mm. caught on to these similarities and started digging a bit more to see if there were like a more sinister connection. Gaynon and Duarte theorized that the young men were all murdered, either by an individual or by an organized group of killers after discovering graffiti depicting a smiley face near locations where they think the killer or killers had dumped the bodies. However, this discovery is only relevant in about a dozen of the cases. So not even all 45. There's just like some of the cases they were like, hey, there was a smiley face in Mm -hmm. the area. Now, once people found out about the smiley face connection, they started using the smiley face murder theory as um, or smiley face killers as a term for the theory. And this theory is hardly supported by other police departments and criminal profilers. 
Many say that all the evidence leads to inebriated men drowning in a body of water, and the smiley faces that were found were mostly found after the search area had been expanded, and there is no proof that says the bodies were killed near the graffiti. Okay. So Pat Brown, a criminal profiler, was quoted in a Minneapolis-based newspaper called City Pages saying, quote, It's not an unusual symbol, the smiley face. No. If you look in any area five miles square, I bet you could find a smiley face. End quote. True story. (laughs) Yeah. Um, The FBI has looked into this working theory and continues to keep it on their radar, but has yet to find solid evidence to take it seriously. They just saw some connections of these guys that were drowning, but it it feels more like it's... um, Also, Brian had no smiley face and there's no body. And a lot of people link exactly. the fa- a lot of people are like, well, how are you linking it to these murderers if the two things that indicate that these murderers did it were not present? Right. So. Exactly. Yeah. I don't know. And then yeah, where is there I don't where is there a body of water near There's a river. Is there a river? Yeah. But then is it like a rapid river? Like could it be lost in the river? It's shallow. And they said most things that end up in that river would have washed up and they did comb it. Yeah. I mean, there are still theories that maybe that's what happened because water is is tricky. And it was days. Who knows? Yeah. Like, it, it was so long. There is but- also, um, within walking distance, a freight train tracks that— Now, this, this is something I heard just in coverage of it, that there is, like, within a mile, there's freight train tracks. And I guess if you were pretty wily, you could hop a train like a like a old-timey hobo and get out of town. Because mm-hmm. freight trains are slower than commuter trains, so you could jump on board one. Had he, like, run into the night to try and escape? I mean, stranger things have happened, but he could have hit his head, forgotten who he was. Ooh, that's an interesting one. And walked off. Yeah. That's one no one has proposed. That's interesting. Yeah. Very Um, true. And maybe he was overly stressed out from his life that Mm -hmm. he's just living a different life. I mean, there have since been, like, of course, because of the— Bader-Meinhof effect. Plenty of sightings of Brian. Yeah. People say they saw him in Tijuana. It ended up being just a homeless man. People see him everywhere now. Mm -hmm. There's been so many sightings of him. And a lot of people just latch on to the fact that he liked that, like, island lifestyle. So they think he left to go to an island. It's hard because he didn't access any of his money afterwards. But there's also the fact that people like to point to that he did not pay that night with a credit card anywhere. Either he didn't pay... Or he paid in cash. We don't know mm-hmm. which one it is. And if he had cash, maybe he had a lot. I don't know. It, it's also not overly weird for college students to be paying with cash either. No, but it is weird for someone to abandon their entire life and not access their bank account at all. Yeah, but How I mean— How are you paying for stuff? Well, I mean, if he goes to like an island— How did he get there? Maybe he had enough money for that. Just to get somewhere. Yeah, maybe. I don't know. That's the thing. Like, we don't I mean, There's no major withdrawals. It's not like he has, like, a huge withdrawal in his bank account beforehand. Mm-hmm. That would be indicative of that. It's not like he sold his plane ticket. The airline would have known that. Someone else would have showed up with it. It's not like he sold any of his possessions or his car. They were all still there. I mean, that's there. true. It's not like there weren't—I mean, obviously, he's in Ohio, so he's not near a, a resort— no. He's not near no, like a tropical space. So even if he were to have traveled these mm-hmm. places, there there would have been people being like, like, oh, he 
I gave him a ride. Mm-hmm. I did this. Yeah, like exactly. I did. There's none of that. They pointed to that too. There's no taxi drivers. No one said they picked him up as a hitchhiker. No bus fare. No nothing. Nothing mm-hmm. at all. Because all those places also have security cameras. Mm-hmm. They also have checks and balances. You have to buy a ticket. You have to get on the bus or the plane or the train. You have to see other people and make transactions. And none of that occurred. Right. What I really would love to have happened is that he left with the band and now he's one of the members of the band, but you can't tell it's him because he's dressed up as like a crazy 80s person all the time. Oh, that would be so nice. Wouldn't that be great? Yeah. He just goes around playing hair metal and he was like ashamed because he said he hated it and so he couldn't tell anyone. Do you think he could have like passed out in a dumpster? They checked all the dumpsters. But it it was like days later. You don't think he could have gotten like smashed? Um, There are theories that that he got injured after he left. And something happened to him that way. There are also, like, a lot of assholes that have called into the tip line and said, like, oh, he got murdered and raped and it was awful. Because people are terrible. Right. But to me, what seems the most likely is that either he was just couldn't handle his life anymore after his mother died, medical school is a lot of pressure, and maybe his girlfriend really wanted to marry him and he didn't want to marry her. That's stressful. You're in a long-term relationship that you don't know how to end and she wants to get married and your family loves her. She was in his mother's obituary. Mm. She was ingrained in his family. But we don't have any... Is there any knowledge of him being unhappy with her? No. There's no knowledge of him being unhappy at all. Yeah. Because that's a lot of what they're saying to They're like, well, he had his life planned out ahead of him. He had a vacation planned. He had tickets to a big Pearl Jam concert that he was looking forward to right. in like a month. I mean, they were going, yeah. He had, he was supposed to be doing things, which kind of puts a monkey wrench in the whole like, well, he hated his life and he had to leave. Unless you want to go along the road that like he didn't know how to bail on his life. And then he just went to the end of his rope and did. Hmm. Which, uh, I mean, it's not unheard of. It does happen, those kind of— I mean, of- he was also—if if he was actually super drunk— Right, which knows- he definitely was. If you look at the security footage, yeah. he's definitely drunk. He was drunk. He was um, sleep-deprived. Mm-hmm. He was, you know, still depressed or dealing with his mother's death. Yep. Overwhelmed because of school. Mm-hmm. And then this was a night that he was just letting loose, yep. too. But still very sleep-deprived— so who knows what his mental state was yeah. and where he ended up. But it'd be wild, though, if he did either, like, hit his head and, like, forgot that who That is was, wild. Or, but again, like, people would have spotted him. Like, there, there yeah. would have been some sort of trail. Especially if he didn't know who he was because then they'd be like, I don't know. But I don't know. People can get pretty far sometimes without— They sure can. Expect, again, it was days later. It was. So especially if somebody isn't announced, like pronounced And the police missing. do say with, quote, 100% certainty that Brian Schaefer did not leave via the front entrance of the Ugly Tuna Saluna that night. They can say with 100% accuracy. He okay. did not go out the door that, like, patrons would leave from. Right. So he probably went out the back door. So he like had you said, have. he could be, like, in the walls or cement somewhere. I think, oof, I hate, I hate thinking this. It feels like one of the most likely yeah. possibilities. And that means he's still in that structure. 
Or, but that's also where the but they band- did also, they brought in cadaver dogs. Okay. Who didn't hit anywhere. Okay, okay. But, and that's also the same entrance that the band was leaving, going in and out of. Right. So it's still like an exit that he could have just walked out yes. of. And then there's the fire exit that said that there was alarms on, but like if you were a regular, you knew that the alarm wasn't actually armed on it. Right. Even if you weren't and you saw someone lean against it and nothing happened, you would know that you could leave it. Yeah. And I remain that you could jump off that balcony and and live Uh through it. Also, like, was there roof access? We don't know. The Ugly Tuna Saluna has since closed, and and it has been apparently investigated, you know, to the ends of the earth. So, well, that's a stumper. Isn't it? Yeah. So here's the stats on Brian Schaefer, if you, um, should you see anyone that matches his appearance. Uh, he was 27 at the time of disappearance, six foot two inches tall, 165 pounds. He has light brown hair and hazel eyes, a Pearl Jam tattoo of a stick man on his upper right arm. Sometimes he wears glasses. He has a black spot on his left iris. He was last seen wearing an olive green short sleeved polo shirt over a white long sleeve shirt, blue jeans, white Adidas sneakers, and a yellow cancer awareness bracelet. He was last seen at the Ugly Tuna Saluna Bar between 1.30 and 2 a.m. on April 1st, 2006, speaking to two girls. Anyone with information regarding Brian Schaefer should call the Columbus Police Department at 614-645-2358. And that's all we have. Uh, an, an aged photo of him was also released recently, so it's just like an age progression photo. If you want to see what you think he might look like at 42 years old. Okay. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, so that's toast, I guess. All right, toast. <laughs> I know. Um, well, I guess to Brian. Sure. Maybe he's listening. We don't know. We don't know. Or, you know, if any, if something sad happened to you. Yeah. But maybe he's happy living it up in a tropical resort. Maybe. Playing some... 80s hair metal or Jimmy Buffett covers. I just really want him to be part of this rock band and he just got absorbed by them and he now wears like an 80s mullet wig and sunglasses and a hat and you can't tell it's him. Yeah. Wouldn't that be great? That's my, he like, you know, plays guitar and sings fucking cherry pie every night or something. Yeah. It's great. (laughs) Uh, And to his, Uh, to his brother Derek, his only, only surviving member of his family, his uh, girlfriend at the time, Alexis, mm-hmm. who has since been incredibly successful in her medical career and married seemingly a lovely man and had two children. So good for Alexis mm-hmm. for pushing forward. Cheers. Cheers. And if we entered a bar and never came out, maybe we, we would, would be dead. dead. Thank you for listening to the We Would Be Dead podcast. Hit subscribe now to never miss an episode. Rate and review our show on iTunes. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Would Be Dead Pod. And join our Facebook group to discuss the podcast and more. There are a lot of things I'll Google for you guys. Ask tags isn't one of them.